Our gospel reading this morning is Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus tells a story that's a little thought-provoking. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we do ask that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, that by your word and by your spirit you would continue to shape us as your people, that we would come to know you better and trust you more. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with, a plea, with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In our New Testament reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. Peter, speaking of how we are to follow the example of Christ, then tells about him, saying, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned uh, with that first passage, it is thought-provoking. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, telling them uh, this story about somebody who just keeps coming, this widow who keeps coming to this unjust judge and finally gets her justice. And why does he give her justice? So that she won't drive him crazy, right? That's the thing. And, excuse me, and, and Luke tells us that Jesus has told this story as a way of telling his disciples why it is they should pray and not give up. And so I don't know if you've ever had this thought, maybe, but sometimes we get in our heads that what the point of that story is, or maybe the reason that we're supposed to pray the way that we do, 
is so that we can be like that woman who's trying to drive God crazy with our prayers and that maybe if we just badger him enough, he'll give in and give us our way. Have you ever thought about prayer that way? Maybe if you haven't thought about it in those terms, you've still tried it that way. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? Um, and And it seems like that might even be what Jesus is trying to get at when he says, you know, when Luke tells us that Jesus tells this story so that we'd understand why it is that we should pray and not give up. Okay, so I just got to drive God crazy enough that he finally gives me my way. No. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, that's not what that story actually is talking about. The distinction is about this woman who gets justice from an unjust judge. And the point is, that the reason that we should have continue to pray is not like that woman who is dealing with an unjust judge who has to drive him crazy to get justice, but we're dealing with a loving father who is a just judge, who will do right. And therefore, we have every confidence in praying to him that he will do what is good and what is right. And so if we are praying for him to uh, act in, uh, in behalf of justice, then we don't have to drive him crazy. We can continue to pray uh, in confidence, knowing that he hears our prayers and knowing that he will act. Okay. That said, this morning, as uh, you saw in the children's sermon video, we're looking at Abraham and a time when he is talking with God. And that's really all the prayer is, talking with God. And... uh, and he's actually, it seems he's talking to God on behalf of others. This is a situation that is taking place that doesn't necessarily affect him directly. But it does affect other people, and it does affect even people in his own family. And so we see him talking to God on their behalf. And, uh, and as we do so, as we see this conversation unfold, there are several things we're, we're going to learn about uh, what it is, talk to God, why it is that God is opening the door for this conversation, and what that means for us even today. So we go first looking at uh, Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33, and uh, we do pick up the story where it says in verse 16, when the men got up to leave. Which men are these and who are, where are they and why are they leaving and what's going on here? This is what we looked at at the beginning of uh, chapter 18 a week ago. It's been seven days. And so uh, the r- reminder here is this is when some men just showed up at, uh, at Abraham, Abraham's tent And he rushes out to meet them and welcomes them in with just this incredible hospitality. And as we find out as readers that this is actually the Lord who has come to visit Abraham and to make a promise to him that he was going to have a son, not just him, but even his wife Sarah is going to have a son one year from this point. So that's what had just happened, that is what has just taken place. And then that promise having been made confirmed, uh, they get up to leave. That's where the story picks up. 
And it says, when the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. This is part one. This is when the men get up to leave and they look down on Sodom. And then there's like this pause as they consider they're going to do, but also this pause as they consider Abraham. And so the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And this is this, uh, this opening the door of conversation. This is the relationship of God with Abraham. And Abraham actually getting insight into the mind of God and the character of God. And of course, that's the point. Is God is saying, I have made promises to Abraham that he's going to become a great and powerful nation. All nations on earth are going to be blessed through him. Well, how's that going to happen? It's going to happen through the relationship of God with his people. And so we see this even in this moment as God uh, is revealing things to Abraham. Maybe not everybody else got to see. The next part is actually in God saying what is going to happen to Abraham. It says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So at this point, uh, we see there there has been someone who has been crying out to the Lord about the wickedness and the evil that is taking place in these communities. God says he's going down to check that out. And yet he's letting Abraham know that this is what's going on. And then it says, when the men turned away and went towards Sodom, it says that Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham doesn't go back to his tent at this point. He stays. And it's almost like there is this space that has been opened up for the conversation that now happens. The Lord has stayed with Abraham. Abraham has stayed with the Lord. God has said, here's what I'm going to do. What do you think, Abraham? That's kind of what's left hanging. What do you think about this? And then we get to hear what Abraham thinks about this. Verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you. 
Will not the judge of all the earth do right? What is Abraham saying? He is appealing to who God is, appealing to his character as one, the judge of all the earth, but two, as the one who will do right, right? You're going to do what's right, and, it, and surely that wouldn't be, surely what is right wouldn't be to sweep away everybody if you've got some people who are righteous and some people who are wicked to just gather them all up and throw the whole lot out. No, you wouldn't do that, would you? That's not, that's not who you are, right? You're the one who is the judge of the whole earth. You're the one who's going to do right. Right? It's a good question. And God answers this question. Verse 26, the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And that right there seems like it could be the end of this section. Abraham has said, you're going to do right, aren't you? I mean, you wouldn't treat everybody the same if this is the situation, if there are 50 people there. And God says, no, I wouldn't do that. Like, oh, good. Well, I'm glad to know that this is, uh, this is who God is. But then the whole rest of it, do you notice what happens here? As Abraham starts getting nervous, that, okay, okay, God wouldn't sweep away everybody if there were 50 righteous, but what if I just set the bar in the wrong spot? What if he's only going to do it because I said this? I said 50, and he says, okay, fine, Abraham, I'll do it your way, and I won't wipe everybody off, you know, away if there's 50 righteous people. And then Abraham's like, oh, no. If there are only 45, I'm going to feel really bad about this. Um, and so he comes back. And he says, Then Abraham spoke up again, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? <laughs> We're so close. We're so close to the line, right? That still, that still should count, shouldn't it? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Oh no, what if the bar is set in the wrong spot again? Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found? That for the sake of 40, I will not do it. 40 still might be too much. Um, then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, may the Lord... Not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Do you hear just the bar being lowered and lowered and lowered as Abraham seems to be nervous that he set the bar in the wrong spot and that God is only agreeing to what he has asked, but... What if he's asked the wrong thing? And God continues to say, sure, yeah, for 30, for 20, for 10. I won't destroy it if there are that many righteous people. And it might be easy to read this 
passage and say, all right, I'm sure glad that Abraham lowered the number as low as he did and that God was willing to agree to Abraham's terms every step of the way. But is that what happened? Was God agreeing to Abraham's terms? I don't think so. I think God had known what he was going to do before this conversation with Abraham. And it's actually this conversation with Abraham that is letting Abraham know what God is going to do. It's letting Abraham know the character of God who is the judge of all the earth, who is going to do what is right. And it's not to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Abraham had that right. But as far as all the setting the bar in these various areas, if you'll notice, God doesn't change his mind through any of it. As God is saying, I'm going to do this thing, and Abraham's like, well, you're not going to do this, are you? Well, no. Well, you're not going to do this, are you? Well, no. <laughs> and every time Abraham kind of shifts it around, God's plan stays the same. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. And I'm, I am the one that you call the judge of all the earth, and I am the one who is going to do what is right. If you know what happens next in the story, it can be um, it can be troubling because we see that these uh, cities are destroyed, and we go, "What's going on with that? I thought that wasn't going to happen." If there were ten righteous people, and this is one of those places where. Uh, People tend to have this view of the God of the Old Testament as just angry and wanting to destroy everybody. I don't know if you've heard that view, but it's out there. Does Abraham have that view of God? No. He does not have that view of God, and actually the view that he has of who God is is consistent with who God reveals himself to be even later to Moses, the, uh, one of the most quoted lines in the whole of the Old Testament. As God reveals himself to Moses, saying that he is the Lord who is gracious, passionate, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is who he reveals himself to be, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love love, and yet not withholding punishment. And so when we look at a situation of God destroying these places, it might be easy for us to say, well, that yeah, he just gets quick to anger. He's not gracious. He's not compassionate. He's impetuous. He's impulsive. And you never know where you stand with him. Not who God is. God is gracious and he is compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And if we have that already in place, then that's what makes sense of Abraham's question. You wouldn't really destroy everybody even if there were just a few people there who were doing right. God says that's exactly right. 
You know me well, Abraham. I wouldn't do that. So when he does, that means something, doesn't it? That must mean that there's a lot more to the story than we are aware of. That must mean that there has been, uh, he has been slow to anger with this people, that he has been gracious, that he has been compassionate with that for them, the time is up. And the time for punishment has come. I find it very interesting as Abraham is kind of in this priestly role praying for others. He has a nephew, by the way, who lives in Sodom. As he's praying for others, do you notice what he doesn't pray for? He doesn't pray for forgiveness. Anybody notice that? You may find that odd. But he recognizes that the righteous ought to be rewarded and the wicked ought to be punished. Takes that as a matter of course. And what we see uh, revealed throughout Scripture is that is the way that it is. There is punishment for the wicked, and there is reward for the righteous. Even when it doesn't seem that way, the book of Ecclesiastes, quite bothered by this, the author uh, saying, you know, I look around and I see the wicked and they seem to be succeeding and I see the righteous not succeeding. What is going on? See the same thing uh, in the book of Jeremiah. The end when the kingdoms of God look around and this is what I see. Wicked seem to be doing well. What's going on? And yet, the constant um, the constant message is there will be a day of punishment for the wicked. That day is coming. But the reason that. Uh, seems like the wicked may be succeeding and prospering is not because they're actually succeeding or actually prospering. But because God is slow to anger. Because he is gracious and compassionate. Because he is abounding in love. And so he is patient. Giving everyone ample opportunity to turn to him, to trust him, follow his way. Do is right. And yet, when we look at the um, distinction, wicked and the righteous, we want to put ourselves as the judges of the world. 
We want to be those who are the judge of all the earth. We want to be those who say this is what is right and this is what is wrong. And that is exactly the same problem Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. God says this is the right way, this is the wrong way. And they say, eh, this way looks right to me. And they make the judgment. They're not the judges. When the judge shows up, put back in their place. Abraham understands his place before the king of the universe. Yes, there is this conversation, almost as peers. Make no mistake, they are not peers. God is condescending to Abraham, not in a negative way, but in a very positive way. He is coming down to his level to have this conversation so that Abraham might know the character and the heart of the God who has called him. Part of what that means, Abraham has to understand his place as not the judge of the earth. And so this is where you get some of that language throughout uh, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. And, oh, now that I've been so bold as to speak, and may the Lord not be angry, let me speak once more. Those kinds of phrases throughout. Abraham understands he does not have the right to speak apart from God allowing him to speak. God is condescending, coming down, to Abraham, in order that Abraham might know the character in the heart of God. And it is not a heart bent on destruction. Once we understand our place, though, not the judge of the earth, we also run into a big problem. And that is that if you divide the entire world into the wicked and the righteous, you can do that pretty easily. Jesus and the righteous can. (laughs) And there's the whole rest of humanity. Everybody. That's a problem. That is a problem if the judge of the whole earth is going to divide everybody into the righteous and the wicked, and you say, well, are you going to sweep everybody away? No, just the wicked ones. <laughs> okay, good, wait. We see in the rest of the story is that Jesus is... T- the righteous one. First Peter chapter three. As for Christ, suffered also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous or the unrighteous bring you to God. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You were going like sheep going astray. Now you have returned to the shepherd, overseer of your soul. This is the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. But does make the right judgment of the wicked and the righteous. And though we are all on the side of the wicked, the one righteous person has died for us, that we could be brought in and be those who have received his righteousness. As we continue the story, God, Abraham, we learn more about the character of God. We learn more about what it means for Abraham to be the one through whom God is going to bring blessing to the whole world. We see, especially in the person Jesus. But for now, we're left with ourselves looking back at this conversation. Why is it that this conversation even takes place if it doesn't change God's mind? Not because Abraham is the widow who needs to drive God crazy until he gets his way, right? Why does this conversation take place if it's not going to change God's mind? This is an important one for us to wrestle with as we even think about prayer at all. If God doesn't change his mind by the end of this conversation, what's the point? Maybe Abraham shouldn't have bothered. Or maybe there's a different goal. heard a song years ago where a guy was talking about uh, relationship issues uh, between couples and somebody was saying to him that you know it's like working on the car and you get the car fixed up and he said eh, it's not really like that because you know you work on your car and the car gets fixed he said, but when you're working on the relationship that's the only way that you get fixed <laughs> I think that's why this conversation takes place That this is a way not to change God's mind, but for Abraham to be let into kind of some of the insight of uh, what God is doing and why, but more that he can understand who God is, that he can know God better, that he can know his heart and his character. That when Abraham gets it all the way down to 10, God says, yeah, yeah, that's who I am. I am the judge of all the earth who will do right. And now Abraham knows God better. And knowing him better will be able, enabled to trust him more going forward. 
Think about that for us. When we pray, Jesus you know, has given this parable to his disciples to teach them that they are to pray and not give up praying. Keep praying. Because we know that God is going to do right. But remember as we're praying that maybe the purpose of praying isn't what we necessarily are praying about. <laughs> Sometimes it is through prayer. The situation doesn't change. We change. As we come to know God better and can trust him more in everything. Does that mean that God never does what we ask? doesn't mean that at all. Of course he does. That is a part of the genuine relationship he has with his people. But it is a relationship that is based on the character of God, not the um, quality of our prayer. With that said, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We do thank you that you are good and true, right. Lord, we thank you that you know so much more the picture than we know. Lord, you know uh, everything down to individual motives of hearts. You know uh, who we are, where we are. You know the options and opportunities that we have had. You know the ways in which our hearts have been receptive or resistant to the things that you are doing in our lives. Lord, we know that when you judge, you judge rightly. I pray that you would help us to refrain from judging others when we only see part of the picture and even what we do see, we don't see clearly. Help us not to be those who are quick to anger and slow to love. We ask that you would continue to form us, shape us as your people, as those who reflect your character, those who are gracious, compassionate, Slow to anger, bounding in love. 